Lord, we love you. We are gathered here to worship you, Lord. We bring our, we bring our offerings of praise. We bring our, our bodies and our souls, Lord, but our hearts are broken this morning. And we don't understand why you do the things that you do, Lord. And we have all these things that we say to each other, Lord, that we, that we tell each other in times like this. But, Lord, you're, you're teachers. We don't understand this, and we don't know this. Lord, this just doesn't feel right. Um, but we know, we know that you are in control. We know that you hold the heavens and the earth in your hand. We know that, that, that everything that happens is in your will, Lord, is, is your order. And even when we don't like it, Lord, even when it breaks our hearts and, 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 and leaves us cold and sad, Lord, we know that we still have this church, that we still have your body, to, to lean on. And so we're here this morning, Lord, all of us who are here, we are gathered, we, we bring our, our sacrifice of praise, we bring our tithes, we bring our offerings, uh, our offerings, Lord, and, and we come this day to say to you, Lord, that, that only you have the words of life. Lord, at, at the end of the day, that, that this is the only place that we go for, for comfort, Lord, and we, we look to you this day for peace. We have come to the well for that water, Lord, and we, we expect that it will not be dry, Lord. We pray that you will soften our hearts this morning. We pray that you will give us that peace and comfort. We pray that you will open us up to this, to this word this morning that comes through our pastor but from you. And, Lord, we pray that it will edify us. We pray that we will leave here knowing that, that you love us, that you have peace for us, and that you are working together all things. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. stand up and join us in worship.
And uh, if you would like to help us, that would be really good. We are going to be decorating Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday this week from 6 o'clock until 9 o'clock, getting this place ready. Next Sunday when you come in here, it will be totally different than what you see it today. And so uh, it's going to be a tremendous set, and we hope that you will be a part of our uh, putting it together. And if you can, uh, make sure that you start being here next, uh, starting tomorrow at 6 o'clock. And then if you have not registered your child for Vacation Bible School, please do so. Uh, it helps us to know how to plan and prepare every night uh, for these kids, and the uh, information is on the slide behind me. And then as you uh, did hear, we had some sad news this week. Uh, not only did we have a great funeral yesterday and a celebration of life with Louise Walker, uh, but this past, uh, I think it was Friday, we lost uh, Marcia Davis, our uh, assistant headmaster at the school. It was sudden uh, and uh, unexpected, obviously. And so continue to pray for the family. Mr. Davis, if you don't know who Mr. Davis is, he's the one that's always playing the drums on Sunday morning. It was his wife to give you an idea of who that was. She, she helped us in vacation Bible school. She did a lot of things for us around here. Tentatively, the uh, service is going to be on uh, the 24th. We are still not sure of the exact time, uh, but we will let you know next Sunday uh, with that. And then um, uh, we also, if you would help us, we are going to supply an evening meal uh, for the family. This week, a small family. I think only four. Uh, right, Bianca? I'm glad to see Bianca's here. And Mr. Davis is here this morning. God bless you guys for being here. Um, but uh, if you would help out with doing a dinner, uh, my wife and I did it last night. We got somebody for tonight. Uh, but uh, Monday through Saturday of this week, if you would help, please see me after the service out in the back, and I will let you know what you need to do uh, with regards to that. And then uh, we have also set up, uh, as of just a few minutes ago, the Davis Benevolent Fund. Uh, if you would like to help with the cost of this, obviously something unexpected like this, there is a tremendous cost involved. And if you would like to help, if you would put on your check or put it in an envelope, market Davis Benevolent Fund, and we will make sure that it goes to this. That'll save you time from going to Facebook or going to, they have a GoFundMe page as well, if you would like to try to find that. But if it's easier for you, just do that. Um, we're going to try to help this family in any way we can, and uh, we love them, love them dearly, and uh, we thank you for your support through all this time, and I know they do too. As our ushers now come forward, please, um, just as they're coming forward, we will also let the men's ministry know about your meeting, being that it might be the same day as the funeral, but next week we will give you all details concerning all those events. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Father. Our hearts are heavy, but God, we are thankful that we know where she is today, and that God, you are the God of all comfort, that knowing that what, no matter how, what we all go through, it's your comfort and your peace that passes all understanding that just comforts our souls at times like this, but we thank you for a church family that are loving and kind. We thank you that there is a church here, and it's all because of the wonderful gifts of our wonderful people. Continue to bless this work and bless this offering now as we give back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
would you take your Bibles and, well, it's actually on the screen behind you. I don't have monitors this morning. Second Peter chapter 1, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. This, these are our verses for the year. And would you recite it along with me, please? For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we pray our Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
may be seated. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, and it is if you guys want me to preach this sermon, you're going to have to stop crying. We've really lost a, a pillar uh, of our family. For those of you who uh, are visiting, um, we... You already know that we lost uh, Marcia Davis. I, I wish she could have known her. We are privileged to know her. I don't think there's, I know there's not a single person in this ministry, student, teacher, coworker, who could say one negative thing about that woman. And we are blessed for knowing her, and this morning she has been on my thoughts, and she's been in our prayers, and I just wanted to share with you a word of comfort from the Lord. I just wanted to read scripture and pray. This past Thursday, we had an impromptu prayer night for Miss Davis here in our our church um, office, and it was one of the sweetest times of prayer I've ever been a part of. And we all came in when we, we got the news that Miss Davis was, was in grave danger, that her life was fading quickly. We all began to pray. And it was a real pleading with the Lord. We prayed fervently. We worshiped honorably. And we praise God for who he is and what he does, even when what he does doesn't go with what we think he should do. And it was a wonderful time to be together and to pray and to honor God. It's what David did when his son died. He went into the house of worship and praised God. And it's what we're doing today. I just have some thoughts this morning that I just wanted to share with you to comfort you. Before we began to pray that night, I asked Johan to just read scripture. And several people just threw out some scriptures that they wanted to hear read to be a comfort. Because nothing comforts like God's word. My old high school Bible teacher used to say that the Bible was God's love letter to his people. And it was certainly our love letter that past Thursday. And my hope this morning is that it will be... God's word for you. Before we begin, I just want to pray. And I just want to lift up the family and the friends and our ministry. Father, you are so glorious and so good. As Jake said, we have accepted good. Shall we not also accept evil? Shall we not also mourn, Lord God? Have you told us anything differently in your word than what we've experienced? Have you promised us things that you haven't given to us? 
Jesus not promised us a cross. He not promised us suffering. He not promised to be with us in the midst of that suffering. Did you not promise that you would keep us in the midst of suffering? That neither death nor life and height and depth, nothing could separate us from you and your love? You have promised, God, and you will fulfill your promise. We praise you this morning. You are good. What you have done this week is for our good. We don't know why. We don't know how. But we know that it is for our good. You still tell us to do things daily, to be persecuted by the world for the sake of your son's name, for our good. And we don't know why you do it, but we know that it's for our good. And ultimately, Lord God, one day, whether you reveal it to us in this life or in the next, or have decided to keep it your secret will for all eternity, Lord, we will praise and honor you. Not because we love you, but because you love us. Because the Holy Spirit that lives within us is able to keep us. That which you have given to us, you will keep. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. And we praise you in this moment, Lord God. Let your word and let these thoughts comfort the church this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no particular exegetical order that I'm following today. These are just thoughts. Thoughts that I've had this past weekend for the church and for our ministry. The first thing I wanted to say this morning was that our God is a God of both yes and no. Our God is a God of both yes and no. James told us that, commanded the church to pray. And the example that he gave was that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Sometimes our God says yes. Sometimes he says no. And away with the myth that if you just had a little bit more faith, just a little bit more faith that God would have said yes. That is not the God of Scripture. And I want to prove that this morning. That sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says no. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah all prayed to God for his mercy to reveal to them the secret of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams while their necks were on the line, while the magicians and sorcerers of Babylon and the Chaldeans' necks were on the line. The only hope that they had was to pray to God to do only what God could do, which was to reveal the hidden dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And they prayed. They went to God. They didn't go to textbooks. They didn't Google whether or not God, how to answer a dream and how to interpret it. They didn't even know what the dream was. But when the odds are impossible, God's people go to the one who does the impossible. And God gave them the answer to Nebuchadnezzar's dream. At another time, these companions of Daniel were brought before the king for failing to worship his golden image. 
And Nebuchadnezzar, furious and full of rage, ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than it normally was. And he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be thrown in. This is no tale. This is a historical event that happened. But God decided to deliver the boys and to say yes to them. And the only words the king had in the midst of God's deliverance was, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. God said yes. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread out his prayers before him, praising God and praying for his deliverance from the king of Assyria. And God permitted that not even a single arrow was fired in the city. 135,000 Assyrians were killed that night. Jesus prayed over five loaves of bread and two simple fish. That that menial portion of food would feed 5,000 women and children and men. And not only did it feed all 5,000, there was a surplus. And on that day, God said yes. The church prayed fervently that Peter would be released from prison. And even while they were still praying, Peter was freed. God sometimes even says yes while we're praying. But sometimes God says no. In fact, in that very same passage, it begins with James, the brother of John, was martyred by the sword. Two apostles, two different fates at that moment, and all for the glory of God. In the midst of abundant suffering, Job's wife goaded him to, into praying curses to God, but Job knew that God is good even in the midst of suffering, and he asked his wife a question that penetrates the center of our very relationship with God. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? While Peter was rescued, at that moment, we know from the church historians that his eventual fate was crucifixion, similar to his Lord. What history tells us is that Peter was crucified upside down, not finding himself worthy to be crucified upright. Every apostle of God died a martyr's death. The church's foundation, it has been said, is the blood of her martyrs. In this very hour, brothers and sisters are suffering both natural sufferings of sickness and famine. Others are suffering persecution. The church around the world bears the marks of her Savior by suffering just like he did. And we know that God causes it to rain on both the just and the unjust. Better than many of us, they know this. But there is no greater example of God saying no than through his own son in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, the Bible says our Lord laid prostrate with tears streaming from his face and with even sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground, pleading with his own father, his own father, who could stop it if he willed. Let this cup pass from me. 
This is God himself in the garden saying, let this cup pass from me. And God said no. I know personally that God says yes and God says no. My brother-in-law was 43 when he died of a massive heart attack. And my sister and my wife and I sat there and prayed that God would heal him and deliver him. And God said no. Several weeks before that, my brother walked out to see his stone son bruised all over his body. And they didn't know what was going on. And they thought he had leukemia. we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and I left my family and I went to be with him and, and his son and he was in Vanderbilt in ICU and we prayed that God would deliver from him from this and God said yes. This past month we celebrated the one year anniversary of my father's heart attack where every seven minutes I laid my hand on my dad's leg and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would deliver him in the midst of impossible odds. And God said yes. And this past Thursday night I did the same thing. And this church pleaded and we laid ourselves down before God that he would deliver our sister. And God said no. That is the God of Scripture. Whether we like it or we don't like it, he is the God of Scripture. And if he said no to his son, what would keep him from saying no to us? If he said yes to those prophets before us, why would he not say yes today? The point is don't stop praying because God says no. Because he can say yes. Here's what we do know, that in the midst of God saying yes and no, we know that he says both for our good. Both for our good. And we don't understand that. But both for our good. The second thing I wanted to say is that very thing, that God works all things together for our good. Romans 8.28 says... Or tells us that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For many of us, that's our life verse. And while we waited, wait anxiously in the waiting room for my father and the results during his surgery to see if he had survived the surgery, they gave him almost no odd of that. No odds of surviving the surgery. His Sunday school teacher was there with us, and he just brought us together, and he said, I want to remind you of this verse. And he read to us Romans 8, 28 in this moment, as we were waiting for Dad to see whether he was going to get out. And he said, I want to remind you this, that while the verse says that God works together in all things, he works all things together for good, that not all things are good. It's called suffering for a reason. It's not good, but God works it for good. And it is a mystery of the ages that Joseph can say, 
at the end of his at the end of his life as he stands before the very brothers who sold him into slavery who faked his death after being in prison that he can say to his brothers what you meant for evil god meant for good very same verb that how humans can mean evil god can mean good but it doesn't mean that the suffering was pleasurable It does mean, however, that Christians can suffer in joy. Just a simple reading of the New Testament will reveal to you that the Christian church viewed suffering and joy as two parts that went together. Like peanut butter and jelly. For those of you weirdos who eat peanut butter without jelly, you have to have jelly with your peanut butter sandwich. My wife is one of those weirdos who only eats peanut butter. Suffering and joy, suffering and joy. Listen to what James, he begins his letter with. He says this, he says, count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. Don't see a single part of it as not having joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Whether it be persecution or natural suffering, whatever the trial that comes to you, James says, this is joy in this moment. Count it joy for joy. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Suffering is the refining fire of God's people through which he reveals to the world his glory in keeping all those whom he foreknew, whom he had predestined to eternal life. James, like Solomon, knew, and he knew, like Solomon did, that in the midst of our trials, that the God who worked things together for good would also prove our faith in the midst of wickedness and in the midst of suffering. We know that pain and suffering are not God's ideal for this world, neither are they his ideal for our lives, but they are nonetheless his will, and they are both pain and suffering for our good. God has chosen in his sovereignty to allow suffering to be the very thing that will produce for him the most glory, working even through the suffering of his son for the good of his people. The third thing I want to remind you of this morning is that our Savior also suffered. The writer of the letter of Hebrews wrote this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Paul said that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Just listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah as he describes the suffering of our Lord. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Think about that imagery. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. There's no throne that this king was born into but a manger. A slop trough for animals. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. Jesus couldn't fit into most churches today. It would look like the curse of God was all upon him, which it was for our sake. As the very next verse tells us, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The perfect becoming imperfect, becoming sin for us. Oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led into the slaughter, and like sheep that bore its shears is silent, before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation he considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked. Think about that. God was crucified between two criminals. God himself. made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Joseph of Arimathea. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Listen to that verse for just a second. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Our Savior suffered. Christianity will be marked by suffering. We too have been called to share in this same suffering, have we not? Christ told his disciples that if they were going to follow him, that they would get a cross, not a car. Jesus was a man marked by suffering, and his disciples are no greater than he is. And as he suffered, we too suffer. Fourth thing I want us to remind, remind you of is that we are not to waste our suffering. I love to watch Christians suffer. We're all going to suffer. Everyone's going to suffer. Christianity's not where you come to miss cancer. It's not where you come to miss persecution. Certainly you don't come to Christianity to miss persecution. But it's where we have hope in the midst of suffering. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not a masochist and I don't pray for God to send suffering unless it be his will. But suffering comes on both the righteous and the unrighteous. As Spurgeon said, make no mistake, tombstones are the commonest of common things. Today we're in the house of the Lord, but someday we will be the subjects of the house of mourning. We have all had our fair share of festivals, but not one of us will escape his own funeral. Mirth brings cheerfulness, but mourning brings introspection. Solomon reminded us that the day of death is better than the day of birth, that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. During the time of great suffering over our unexpected loss of our dear sister, remember that the living will take to heart the solemnity of the moment. They are 
are watching and listening to see how we suffer. We want to know if our faith will remain strong and hold steadfast to the promises of God, or will our faith become weak and be blown away like chaff in the wind? This is our opportunity to show the world how Christians mend. Paul did not want the grieving church at Thessalonica to be uninformed about suffering and thereby grieve the same way unbelievers grieve as men who have no hope. Oh, would to God that Christians would stop grieving like the world. I didn't say stop grieving. This is a part of life, but don't grieve like men and women who have no hope. The world-class human genome scientist Francis Collins began his walk with the Lord all from a simple question of a dying elderly woman. He just asked them, what do you believe? The woman was suffering from untreatable angina. The young man had rarely considered God in his life, but it wasn't until he saw Christians suffering that he saw the beauty of God's glory. I just want you to listen to his testimony. This young agnostic, for all intents and purposes, a non-believer. As one person has said, an agnostic is just an atheist without guts. Listen to what he says. What struck me profoundly about my bedside conversations with these good North Carolina people was the spiritual aspect of what many of them were going through. I witnessed numerous cases of individuals whose faith provided them with a strong reassurance of ultimate peace, be it in this world or the next, despite terrible suffering that in most instances they had done nothing to bring on themselves. If faith was a psychological crutch, I concluded, it must be a very powerful one. If it was nothing more than a veneer of cultural tradition, why were these people not shaking their fists at God and demanding that their friends and family stop all this talk about a loving and benevolent supernatural power? The rest of the story is that this man went down the street to a church and began his spiritual journey. It was the brothers and sisters in the midst of suffering, who revealed most poignantly the glory of God. But in the midst of their suffering, the lost saw God's glory. Some will need that. I know, because I worked with this woman for eight years, that what she would have us do would be to use this as an opportunity to glorify God. I know it. You're going to hear this next week or two, people are going to say she loved the children. And I saw it this way. She loved the children because she loved Christ. That's what I saw. There were kids, we would sit there in meetings, and I would say, how do you love that kid? His own mother doesn't love him. And she would just so sweetly remind me of God's love for us. The 
world is going to watch this week how we suffer. Don't miss the opportunity to reveal God's glory. Five, trust that God will keep you in the midst of it. That's a big question that Christians wonder. Will God keep me when great suffering comes? I don't know what I'd do if such and such were to happen. So so many of us. And if you're depending on yourself to keep you in the midst of suffering, you're going to always be uncertain. But we don't trust in the flesh. We put our faith in God to keep us in the midst of suffering. He is able to keep you. He will finish what he has begun. And if you're still thinking that salvation is of your own doing, and that salvation will ultimately be of your own keeping, then of course you're going to doubt what you would do. But we don't preach that at this church. We preach that salvation is of the Lord. That it is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to God's glory alone, that his elect will be saved. His mercies will be new. He will renew them. And when you think about today, as someone has said, when you, when you begin to think about those struggles for today, he's given you grace to get through the evil today. But his mercies will be new the next day. We think that the book of Job is about the man Job. It's not about the man Job. It is about God keeping the man Job. What would we do if we lost a child? So many parents have said, oh, if it's up to me, I'm gone. Some are just so overcome with grief, they might even take their own life. But we know that God keeps his. In this moment, I want us to worship God and remember he's the keeper. He's the one who keeps for his glory, for our good. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, in all these things, no matter the type of suffering, but in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, said Paul, that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We worship the God who keeps his people. Trust that God will keep you in the midst of suffering. Finally, as we go, I want us to remember that suffering in this life is incomparable with the glories of the next. Paul said in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. They're incomparable. Just think, if you ever wonder how glorious it is going to be with God and His kingdom, if you ever wonder what that's like, think of the worst suffering 
that you could experience on earth. And Paul says to that, it's incomparable. People ask me about whether or not there's going to be real golden gates and golden streets in heaven. And I don't know whether there is or isn't, but what I do know is this. I know that whatever it is, its best is incomparable with this world's worst. And we've seen how bad the worst of this world's sin could be. Paul says, it's not even worth comparing. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation itself, the impersonal creation, was subjected to futility and not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God's creation is waiting to reveal those whom God foreknew. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And Paul says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That is the verse for Christian suffering. Paul says that even in the midst of this first fruits of the, of the Spirit, the regenerated life, that yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but we are still in a state of groaning. Because in this life we have sorrow. We groan inwardly and we wait eagerly. Inwardly we groan. We call out to God, why do you do what you do? How long will you permit evil? And we wait eagerly that God will renew our bodies. Finally, Paul says, for in this hope we are sure. I want to leave you with that thought this morning. Paul told the Corinthian church that was beginning to deny the resurrection of the body. He said, if we have hope only in this life, Christians, if all we have hope for is for this life, we are above all men to be pitied. Right is ever on the scaffold, wrong on the throne. When we look at these dead bodies before us, do not forget the hope of the entire Christian faith. That just as God raised Jesus from the dead, as the first fruits of the resurrected life, so too will he raise all those whom he has called. If you don't know Christ this morning, I can't make these points on my own. But I can tell you this, you can know him today. You can receive him today. You can have assurance today. You can, you can overcome your fear of death. In the joy of the knowledge of the hope of the resurrection that you have in Christ Jesus. And so I invite you this morning to receive Christ as your Savior. Let us bow our heads and close our eyes.
Lord, I'm so glad that we can celebrate this morning in the hope. I'm so glad that you loved me while I was a wretched sinner. You revealed the grace of God to me. Had it not been for you, Lord God, the change that you made in my heart, the regeneration of your Holy Spirit, where would I be? But you, Lord God, in your grace gave me eyes to see and made my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. It was your work, Holy Spirit, that gave me new life in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, as we look and as we think this week about death and suffering, you won't take it away, but you will give us understanding and joy that Christ has overcome the world. Christ has been victorious over death. So, Lord, I just ask you to do the same thing this morning in the hearts of everyone here, Lord God. If there are, and I'm sure there are, Lord God, I am certain that in our midst there are some this morning who have not received Christ, who are not living the life in the full abundance of the knowledge of the grace of God through Christ Jesus. I pray that you give to that person, that man or woman, that boy or girl, Give them the eyes to see your glory in this time, Lord God. Let this church use its suffering in this moment to bring back to the fold those sheep who have gone from us. To give new life, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would work in this time. Lord God, that you would bring about good through evil. Let us see it in our lives. As a final testimony of our sister, Lord God, the one who gave up to the very last day, gave her life for this ministry. Lord, you know how hard we labor for this ministry. Only you can do the work. So we plead with you to do the work, Lord God. Comfort us now in this time. Let us have a sweet time with the family and friends. And let us see your glory in the midst of this suffering, brighter than we've ever seen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close?
Let us be reflectors of you. Because a lot of people are going to be coming up and asking a lot of questions. May we honor and glorify you through everything we do this week. In Jesus' name we pray.